This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Watching or listening online, welcome to you. I am going to ask you to remain standing for just a few more moments if you're able. If you're not, that's okay. Uh, be comfortable. And, and, uh, but I want to just say that uh, I know Chris already mentioned it, but welcome to you that are visiting with us. Uh, your presence really means so very much to us. Um, it's important to us in, in knowing that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday here. And I want you to know that our prayer has been that you, that all of us would see and know the preciousness of Jesus today and simply, simply worship him. That's, that's our prayer. Well, if you have been with us, um, you know that we have been working our way through first Peter this fall, and this last two Sundays, we have deviated just a bit, and we're going to focus on two parables from uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, parables which I believe are quite befitting to the sermon series that we've been going through entitled, Living Hope for Suffering People. In fact, if you were here three weeks ago, one of those parables was referenced in that sermon. And so I have prayed that Jesus' words found here in Matthew would further anchor our Christian hope when suffering in a post-Christian world. Christian hope when suffering in a post-Christian world, and in case we haven't noticed, happens to be the world in which we live today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is commonly referred to in Christian parlance as the parabolic discourse. If you'd like to use the Bibles located in the seatbacks in front of you, you'll find this passage on page 818. That's where we'll start and then finish on page 819. I want to start by creating context, and to do that, we need to start with verse 1 and then work our way to the parables. This is the word of the Lord. Try to paint, if you're able, in your mind's eye, the picture scene of what's happening here, starting with verse 1. That same day, I want to pause there for just one moment. That same day is referring to the Sabbath, to Saturday. And it's referring to everything that happened that day that Matthew recorded in the previous chapter, chapter 12, where Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. And not only that, it says he healed all, everyone that followed him that day, including a demoniac. Jesus then rebuffed the preposterous and blasphemed assertion from the Pharisees that somehow Jesus cast out demons by the prince of demons. He then corrected his mother and his brothers about who his true mother and brothers and sisters were. That was quite a day. 
Now, back to the text, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, believed to be the Sea of Galilee. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things and parables, saying... And then Matthew recorded eight parables in this chapter, some directed to the crowd and some directed privately to the disciples. And we're going to read and focus on the fifth and the sixth parables, starting with verse 44. Hear Jesus' words. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless the reading and the hearing of it. Let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. All this we pray in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Eight times in this chapter, the Apostle Matthew records Jesus invoking the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, which we're going to define in just a moment. But eight times, there's a point here. And every single time that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven in chapter 13, he uses the form of a parable to explain it. Now, parables are word pictures. They're comparative storylines, similes, metaphors, almost a riddle of sorts. In fact, the prefix para actually means to lay alongside. To lay alongside. So in Jesus' use of parables, he laid a story alongside a truth to put on display a spiritual reality. A story alongside a truth to display spiritual reality. And with these two parables specifically, Jesus laid or told 
stories, they're short stories of a hidden treasure and a pearl of great value alongside truths about the kingdom of heaven that display its spiritual reality. So in short, and a warning, this is a spoiler alert because this is today's sermon, the entirety of it in only 20 words. <laughs> you ready? It's in your outlines. These parables describe the kingdom of heaven as so valuable that losing everything to have it is joyfully worth it. I'll say that again. These parables describe the kingdom of heaven as so valuable that losing everything to have it is joyfully worth it. Okay. So now that you've heard that, you need to hang in there with me for the next 35 minutes while I preach this sermon and walk through our outline together, which is the purpose of parables. Why parables? The plot of these parables. What's the storyline here? And the practice of these parables. How are we to apply them? The purpose, the plot, and the practice, the why, the what, and the how. So let's start with the purpose of parables. Why parables? If you've read many of them, and there are several dozen in the New Testament, you know that they can sometimes be puzzling and perplexing. Oftentimes, I find them to be just hard to understand. So why would Jesus tell seemingly cryptic stories to describe something as valuable as the kingdom of heaven? I mean, on the one hand, stories can help us make sense of things, right? It can create an aha moment for us, sort of like, ah, now that you put it that way, I get it. They reveal. But on the other hand, stories like what we just read, they can sometimes seem elusive, come across as fuzzy or murky, almost concealing. In fact, Jesus connected parables in verse 11 of this chapter with the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Some of your translations refer to them as the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Both are correct. Now, if you're like me, sometimes feeling just a little bit slow in understanding parables, I want you to know that we are in good company because even the disciples, even the disciples who had hung with Jesus now by, for two years by this time, even they had to have Jesus explain some of the parables to them. And then when the disciples asked Jesus, why parables? 
He answered them in verses 16 and 17 of this chapter. You can look at it if you like. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to, listen to this, hear, hear what you hear and did not hear it. Don't you wish you could have been there? Well, we're going to see in a moment that, in a sense, we are. We are. But here's, here's the paradox of parables. And we heard about paradoxes last week from our brother Luke. Jesus uses parables to describe this incomparable spiritual kingdom of heaven like we read here. He does so for both effects, meaning he wants to reveal and he also wants to conceal, to reveal and to conceal. As to revealing, Jesus very much wants to reveal who he is as well as his kingdom to those whom he's called, those who are his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, said Jesus in John 10, 27. But, but parables can also conceal. And even, quite sadly, bring judgment on those of decisive unbelief. Those who repeatedly over and over and over and over again reject Jesus' clear teaching that he, as Matthew recorded earlier, that Jesus has the sole authority on earth to forgive sins. That Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the King. Parables are actually a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy quoted earlier in verses 14 and 15 of this chapter. You can go back and read that. When you do, you'll note that it's really strong language. You see, sometimes truth blinds. Sometimes truth deafens. And sometimes, truth even hardens. Jesus said to some of the Jews in John 8, 45, because I tell the truth, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 31. But, but, 
Parables are also good news. And they're good news because they're stories about the gospel of grace. The gospel, which literally translated, means good news. The good news of salvation, salvation in Jesus Christ and him alone and dear ones, that is good news. So in summary, parables are messages of both judgment and of grace. Judgment and grace. And loved ones, parables, parables should humble us and bring us to our knees. Because if it were not for the great love with which he loved us and the grace that only God can give, none of us, none of us would ever have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. Parables should bring us to a place of awestruck worship. Praise be to Jesus. Now, before we look at the plot of these parables, we need to understand what the kingdom of heaven is, which, by the way, is synonymous with the kingdom of God. Same thing. So let's, let's define it. Maybe, maybe the closest thing we think of when a kingdom comes to mind is the United Kingdom, Great, Bit, Great Britain as they would say on the other side of the pond. And a defining feature, a defining feature of any kingdom is that it must have a monarch, a ruler, a king. A kingdom cannot be separated from a king. And in the case of the United Kingdom, its monarch, its king, is now King Charles III. But of course, the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom like that, bound by geography and borders. How can it be? It's called the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. So simply put, the kingdom of heaven is not merely a realm or a place, can be, but a rule and a reign. A rule and a reign. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, it's near. John the Baptist said the exact same thing. So which is it? Which is it? Is the kingdom of heaven out there or is it here? Is it to come, or is it already present? Is it internal within us, or is it external outside of us? The answer is yes. Yes, it is. You see, here's another paradox, a spiritual mystery of sorts, because the kingdom of heaven is all of that. It's all of that. When Jesus descended Upon this earth over 2,000 years ago, he arrived as a prophet, as a priest, and as a what? 
A king, that's right. And he's not just any king. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.15, Jesus is in the present tense right now, and I quote, the only sovereign king of kings and Lord of lords. You see, in the past tense, Jesus inaugurated his kingdom with his incarnation on earth. In the present tense, he now rules internally within the hearts of those who believe in him. And in a future sense, his kingdom will be fully full, fully full when he returns and reigns as king on this earth. Maranatha, the kingdom of heaven. And so for us today, we live in that kingdom between the now and then, the now and then, what's commonly known as, and you've heard it said here before, the already but not yet, the parentheses, the interim, the interregnum, the kingdom's here, it's now, but it's, it's not fully full. But when it is fully full, you can rest assured it is our inheritance to come. <laughs> Jesus said, the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my father and listen to this, inherit. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world, Matthew 25, 34. And so you see, brothers and sisters, this is why we need Matthew 13. And this is why we need the parables about the kingdom of heaven, because we are right now living under it, we're living in it, and we're living for it under it, in it, and for it. And it's this kingdom that Jesus describes as worth giving up everything to have it. Everything. So let's look at how Jesus narrates these two plots to describe this, this kingdom. And let me tell you, they are infinitely better than anything that Hemingway or Tolstoy or any of your favorite historical or current day authors have ever written. They're the best short stories ever. Matthew is the only gospel writer to record these two parables. And they're centered around articles of immense value, a treasure, and a pearl. Both are rare. Both have untold value. This is not the everyday kind of stuff that you can buy over there at the Dollar Tree store across the street. No, you need to notice, or we need to notice, that the treasure is called a treasure, and the pearl 
is exclusive among all others. These are just a few of the themes, if you will, that these parables share in common, but they're essentially conveying the exact same message. Matthew will sometimes do this. He will pair things like these parables together to make a point. It's a literary prose of his. But I want us to bifurcate them. Let's split them into two parables and look at how Jesus tells a little bit different story to drive home a main point. We'll start with the parable of the hidden treasure found in verse 44. Let me read that. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We love dreaming about treasures, don't we? I remember, as a very little boy, with all my little heart, believing that there was a treasure of gold at the bottom of every rainbow. One day I was out playing with a friend of mine and I saw the most vivid rainbow I had ever seen up until that point in my life. And I grabbed my friend by his arm and I said, let's go get that treasure of gold. He said, yeah, good idea. So we ran, and we ran, and we ran. And the closer we thought we got, the fainter the rainbow became until it vanished. I was, I was crestfallen because we never, of course, found that treasure. It was pretend. It was a figment of our imaginations. It was fictitious. However, however, there was nothing fictitious about burying items of great value during Jesus' day. You could not go to your local bank and pull out a safe deposit box to put your valuables in it. Burying valuables was a very common practice in Palestine, and according to, to, to the historian Josephus, it was done, and I quote, to withstand the fortunes of war. <laughs> Actually, Matthew mentions this practice again later in chapter 25 of his gospel, when he talks about the slothful servant in the parable of the talents. A talent is actually an extremely large sum of money, perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars. It could have been decades worth of wages. And that servant didn't invest his talent like the others, but instead did what? buried it. He 
buried it. Burying valuables was a very common practice back then and back there. But here's a man. Here's a man in this parable, and we don't know anything about him. What he was doing, why he was there, maybe he was working the field, plowing, tilling, whatever. Jesus doesn't say, and it's not the point. But somehow, some way, and he didn't have a metal detector, this man finds this treasure. He then hides it again, leaves, goes, and sells every single thing that he has to find a way to buy that field and gain that treasure. And that's exactly what he did. Everything for just one It's addition by subtraction. Must have been some treasure. That's the story. That's the parable. Only 34 words, and what a plot. (laughs) Now, as a quick aside, I feel like I need to address this. I know there are those who argue that what this man did was unethical. That he somehow swindled the landowner for his own personal gain. I've studied many of those arguments, and without debating them here with any of us, may I just say that they are utter nonsense. They're rubbish. Jesus is the truth, and without sin. And he would not speak a falsehood simply to make a point. Jesus doesn't twist means to justify an end. Peter describes Jesus as having no deceit found in his mouth. So I'm just going to leave those arguments at that. Now what about the 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 parable of the pearl of great value in verses 45 and 46. Let's read that. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Similar theme, similar outline as the parable of the hidden treasure, but instead of an unnamed man, what we have here is a merchant. What's a merchant? Well, a translation of the word merchant means wholesale tradesman. So this is a wholesaler who goes around and finds goods to sell them to someone who'd sell them again at a higher retail price. In other words, a merchant here is an ancient entrepreneur. (laughs) And what's the merchant looking for? Pearls. Pearls. And if you were here three weeks ago, you know and you heard that pearls back then were equivalent to diamonds 
today. They were like a highly sought-after gem. And if you had pearls, it was a sign of status. It was a sign of wealth. And we can see that in 1 Timothy 2.9, where pearls were associated with women who wore, and I quote, costly attire. Now, I would imagine that if you're a merchant, a tradesman, an entrepreneur, and you're in the business of searching for fine pearls that you'd seen quite a few of them in your lifetime, maybe hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of them, but this merchant, he found one pearl, just one pearl, and that pearl is described by Jesus as having, and I quote, great value, great value. We don't know how much it appraised for, but this much we know. The merchant went and sold all that he had and bought it, all that he had, all. No matter what that pearl cost to him, it was worth every single possession that he owned. Everything for just one thing. Again, it's addition by subtraction. Must have been some pearl. And that's the story, that's the parable, only 33 words here, and what a plot. So Jesus has told us the why of parables, and he's told us the plot or the what of these parables. Now, by his Spirit and his Word, may God grant us to understand the practice of these parables, the how. And there's one, one main takeaway these parables leave us with, and that is to treasure the treasure and value the value. Treasure the treasure and value the value. Dear family, we, we, we live in a very broken world. Marty and I were just talking about that. It's often been said that everything is broken. Romans says the whole world has been groaning and we don't have to be a Christian, really, to see it. Everyone, most everyone, really, they see it. Most everyone knows it. Quoting from Romans 1, we live in a world where God gave people, and I quote, He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, 
slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And if that weren't enough, the last verse of Romans 1 says, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Sound at all familiar? A broken world. A very broken world. And here's where it gets a little personal to us because Paul reminds us in Ephesians that we all, all of us were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We read it earlier. We were enemies of God. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, while those things that I just read from Romans may sound repugnant to us now, we still sometimes find this world, especially here in America, with all of the treasures and all the pearls it claims to offer, pretty attractive. Now to go back to the first parable in verse 44, we need to see that the field that's referenced there is the world in which we walk today. And we are that man in a field. And we have seen the treasure. And you want to know what's in it? The kingdom of heaven. That's what's in it. Salvation, forgiveness, love, joy, peace, virtue, goodness, eternal life, heaven, glory. To, joke, to uh, quote John Piper, the kingdom of heaven is the reign of God and Christ triumphing over everything that stands between you and everlasting life and joy. That's what's in the treasure box. You put all of that together and it is the pearl of great value. And that treasure of all treasures, and that pearl of all pearls, it's ours. It is ours. Not by bartering, not by bargaining. That's not the point of these parables. No, part of what makes this treasure and this pearl so valuable is that it's a gift and it's ours by grace through faith. And once we lay hold of it, by faith, we're no longer citizens of this world because we forfeit this nationality. The Bible says that we are now citizens of where? 
the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> if, if we've banked all our trust, every single ounce of it, all that we have in the person of Jesus and what he alone accomplished when he voluntarily laid down his life on the cross for those who will believe. And we're going to celebrate what that means this afternoon with the Lord's table. But listen, family, if that's you, then you and I are that man. We're that merchant and praise be to God. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that citizenship can come with an effect. And that effect can be costly. Jesus said in John 15, 19, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The world hates us. So when that happens, treasure the treasure. Value the value. When we stand up for Christ and suffer because of Him, treasure the treasure and value the value. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It is worth it. Dear family, it's worth it to have Jesus' rule and reign over our lives, and its worth is infinite. Nothing, absolutely nothing can compare. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is so precious, it's so exquisite, that by comparison, losing everything this world has to offer would actually be a joy. A joy. Here's another paradox. Notice the man who finds the hidden treasure, listen to this, and I quote, in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It wasn't a hardship for him to sell everything he had because it was done out of sheer gladness and pure delight. Addition by subtraction. 
Now, in contrast, if you know the story of the rich young man in Matthew 19, he turned away from the offer of treasure in heaven found in Jesus Christ. And Matthew writes that he went away sorrowful. Can't you just see this young man's head hanging low as he turned and shuffled away from Jesus? Breaks your heart. And Mark recorded that Jesus loved him. You ever ever wanted something so bad, so bad that you didn't care what it took to get it? I remember when I first heard about the person of Jesus and what he had to offer me, which was and is complete unfettered pardon and clemency from every wrong that I had ever done and every wrong that I would ever do for the entire span of my life. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sins. In that moment, I didn't care. I didn't care what I had to give up or what I had to do. I saw a treasure and that treasure was Jesus. And I wanted Jesus. You know what? He wanted me. He wanted me. He wanted me long before I ever wanted him. From from before the foundation of the world, it says, he chose me, he chose us. Ephesians 1.4. We love because he first loved us, wrote John. All I had to do was to believe in Jesus. And he gave me the faith to do it. And that, dear ones, is true for every single person in this room this afternoon and for every single person that's watching or listening online. That's why, that's why Paul could write in Philippians 3, verse 8, that I count everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. We've quoted it here before, but the martyred Ecuadorian missionary, Jim Elliott, journaled it ever so perfectly. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It is worth it.
The kingdom of heaven is worth it. King Jesus is worth it. So in closing, to those of you here who believe, you've put your trust in Jesus. Treasure the treasure. Value the value. Value the value of the kingdom of heaven. Especially, especially when we're tempted to doubt and to ask ourselves, is it, is it worth it? Is all this really worth it? Jesus says, it is. Let this spiritual reality be for you a source of encouragement and great joy, especially amid hardship and suffering, which I know many of you are experiencing right now. It is worth it. And to those of you who do not yet believe, maybe you're here, maybe you're listening online, you've stumbled upon a treasure today that you never knew was there. You know what? That was no accident. Not an accident at all. Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Believe in him. Trust in him. The forgiveness of sins and salvation is his gift to you. You'll never, ever have anything of greater value. Maybe you're here or you're listening and you've been searching for truth your whole entire life. And the pearl of great value has just come across your gaze. I'm here to tell you that's no accident either. Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Believe in him. Trust in him. The forgiveness of sins and salvation is his gift to you. You'll never, ever have anything of greater value. Closing words from Jesus. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray together.